Hey, well, good morning. Some of you gave up greeting way too early, way too early. There were three minutes on the clock, and I saw you only, like, at two minutes you were done. That is unacceptable, absolutely unacceptable, but we'll, we'll work on that. Uh, hey, good morning. My name is Jake. I, uh, I am, uh, gosh, I am, I am a pastor, wait for it, of a new church called Arbor. So there you are. Uh, so glad that you are here this morning. This is, uh, this is really exciting. A lot of birth analogies are happening. Uh, for me, I, I felt like I've been in labor pains for quite some time. So I don't know, ladies, maybe this isn't it, but I'm so glad to have this baby out and, uh, and, and to be starting this thing. So this is, this is really, really great. So um, what I want to do, I want to jump right into it this morning. Uh, we're, I want to ask a simple question, and then it has a simple answer, and then what I want to do is expound upon that simple answer. Uh, but the simple question is this, is why are we here? Why are we here? And I'm not just talking why are we breathing, why are we on this planet. I'm literally talking why am I standing up here? Why are you sitting right where you're sitting? And, uh, and I want to answer that. And it's a very simple answer. The answer is this. It's, it's because of Jesus. We are here starting because of Jesus. Now, it's a, that is the classic Sunday school answer. If you've been to Sunday school, you know what I'm talking about. If the teacher asks a question, you know, who was born on Christmas? It was Jesus. You know, who loves the little children? Jesus. Who's the president of the United States? Nope, not really. But, um, but uh, <laughs> I wish he would have ran. You know what I mean? That would have been awesome. So, but truly, we are here, and this church is here because of Jesus. Everything starts with Jesus. The Bible says, for in him we live, move, and have our being. And so we actually believe, just so that you know, if you're, you know, if this is not a, you're not used to a church thing, just, you know, we actually believe that Jesus not only existed on this planet, but that he still exists, he's always existed, he came down to earth, that he, uh, he was a carpenter, that he had a family, he had friends, he did miracles, we believe all that, it's not just a fairy tale or a bedtime story, it is truly a reality, and his reality has defined history and defines our lives. And so the reason that we are here is simply because of Jesus. That's why we're here. And so I want to unpack that a little bit. I want to talk about that. Because of Jesus, here's the deal, because of Jesus we have life. And that seems pretty obvious, it truly does. Because of Jesus we have life. And, but that statement, I just want you to know, means so much more to me than it has ever meant in my lifetime that Jesus, because of Jesus, we have life. Jesus said this. He said, I have come that you would have life and then life to the full. Out of so many verses in the Bible, this passage, unfortunately, I have seen taken out of context so many times, misunderstood, misrepresented. A lot of times preachers, well-intended preachers like me, have stood up on the stage and they said, God, if you just accept Jesus, you will have life to the full and it's going to be all okay and it's going to be better. And every we sell them like an infomercial, you know, like call now, angels are standing by, you know. You just, you, all you got to do is say this simple prayer and just might want to do it now because if you walk out and get hit by a car, who knows where you're going to go? Those kind of things. So, no, we try to sell Jesus like, hey, if you accept Jesus, all your problems will go away. I'm just telling you, that's not the truth. That is not the truth. You, life becomes fuller, but it doesn't become always better. In fact, the actual interpretation of that is better translated to the word abundantly. We get life more abundantly. And so if you think about it, if life truly is a series of ups and downs, and ups and downs, and one moment you're up and one moment you're down, right, then life abundantly means you have life up here and you have life down here. 
And it just seems that the extremes are so much more because you feel them so much more. There are times that you're right here and you're on the mountaintop and some of you have experienced this with Jesus where it's either in worship or in nature or in a relationship or something where God is so close, you could just touch him, you can feel him, he's right there. But at the same side, on the other side of that equation, there's the lows. And we don't like the lows, and we think, oh, we don't want to talk about those because it's supposed to be life abundantly. But abundant life also means abundant lows. And there's moments where you're truly thinking, oh, man, I don't know. I don't know if this is a, you know, where is God in the midst of this? Is he even real? I'm, lots of questions come up. But it is life to the full, life abundantly. And I've experienced both sides of that equation. And if you're here, you probably know that we have probably experienced one of the worst lows that you could experience in your life with the loss of our daughter. I'll tell this story again. So many of you heard it. But when we sat down with a doctor, a doctor at one point told us that our beautiful little girl, Magnolia, has brain cancer and that she has a 0% chance of survival. And that doesn't happen very often. Even the doctor later told us that she doesn't have that conversation with very many people, that, that, that it's a 0% chance. But when he, or sorry, when she said that, I remember thinking, okay, 0%, that's, that's in medical terms, but I serve Jesus. And Jesus is a healer, and he is going to heal her. And I had faith that that would happen. I'm a pastor, so what did I do? I prayed. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. I'm thinking, God, please heal my daughter. God, please heal my daughter. Please heal my daughter. Give her life. I want more life. And really what I wanted was more time with her. And in the midst of praying and in the midst of pleading and begging and crying and, and whatnot, man, God finally did answer that prayer, but in a way I wasn't expecting. Because, see, I wanted like 40, 50 more years, 50 would have been great, but 40 more years with my daughter. And what he gave me was an eternity through what he did. He had already answered the prayer before I had actually even prayed the prayer. He offered life eternal with her, life eternal with him. That's what he gives us. Jesus gives us life. Because of Jesus, we have life. Not just life on this planet, just not life more abundantly or more full, but life for eternity. He offers us that. It is a reality. To, it's not a fairy tale. Prior to Maggie's diagnosis, I'm just going to be honest with you, even as a pastor, heaven was an afterthought. Like it truly was, I'll get there someday, and at one point in time I'll get there, but it is not an afterthought anymore. Because what Jesus did, what we call the gospel, which is really simple, it is this, is that we, were, we had a price that we needed to pay. We chose to walk away from God. Every single human, every single person chose to walk away from God. And by doing so, we separated ourselves from him. But there's this gap that we couldn't take care of. But Jesus took care of the gap. A sacrifice needed to be made. And so he left heaven, came down to earth, lived a perfect life because only a perfect sacrifice would take care of this great high price. And he paid it on our behalf. He died in our place. And because of that, because of his death, we have life. And so guys, truly, because of Jesus, we have life. That's the first part of the story. The second half is this, is because of Jesus, we're starting this church. I promise you, no other reason. Because of Jesus, we're starting this, this church. There was a shift that happened in my world. Um, when Maggie passed away, right after, I mean, I just so wish she was here today. I mean, I just, 
Dave, I don't even know where you are, but he prayed last night. You prayed last night. Would you uh, pray that God would show up in a way um, where Maggie could be present? Did you guys see the pink sunrise this morning? Oh, my gosh. That's, like, perfect. Perfect. But when Maggie passed away, my perspective shifted. Eternity jumped into the equation. And because of that, things started happening in my world where I wasn't afraid of what was going to happen in this life because I knew I had the next life. And so I started asking the question when I went back to church and I went back to work, and I started asking, what should I be doing? What should I be happening because of this? And I was in my garage, and I was working in my garage when all of a sudden I felt like, I heard, not audible, but I felt like God said, you should plant a church. You should start a church. And my stomach sunk in that moment. In that moment, it sunk, and I'm like, oh, no, that can't be it. And, but it wouldn't go away. And I'm like, okay, all right, so what am I going to do? What do I do? i got to ask my wife because that's a big deal. Um, and so <laughs> it was like truly like 2 in the morning. So I woke her up, and I told her, honey, I know what we need to do. We need to plant a church. And she's like, that's great. Let's talk about it in the morning. So... <laughs> And eventually she gave confirmation in that, but we are starting this church because I asked God, what in the world can I do? I'm not afraid of failing. I'm not afraid of much anymore, but what can I do to make an impact? And later I came to find out that the greatest way, the most effective way to statistically speaking is to plant a church in the United States. That's the most statistically highest um, like reaping of the rewards or the reaping of, of people is to actually go out and plant a church. This is the most effective way to reach a community. And God asked us to do that. And my hope is that we would do that. This is crazy right now to see that there's people out there that I can't even see outside of the window. This is crazy to see what God is about ready to do. My hope is that we can affect this whole entire area, that we can reach people for Jesus so that they can know the heaven that my little girl is playing in and that the heaven that before the beginning of time God set in place for us. Amen? Amen. And so here's the question, and I'm sure you're here and you're wondering, this might even be why you're here, is what kind of church is this going to be? What kind of church is this going to be. And so let's, let's figure that out. Jan Rogers, are you here? You are. Jan, can you stand up? Thank you. You're in the back. Jan, I'm going to ask you a personal question. You ready for it? How old are you? <laughs> can, I can I ask you how old you are? I do? What is the answer? 70 years old. I'm so, and you're a part of this church, right? Yes, it's amazing. It's so great. All right, Michaela Mills, where are you? Oh, you're like right next to her. Oh, you guys are hanging out. That's cool. How old are you? 19 years old. You are the youngest person on our core team. That is awesome. She's joining us as well. So here's the question. Are we going to be a church for the young or the seasoned? Which one are we going to be? Church for the old or for the young? What are we going to be? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Bob Lee, where are you? You just came up here a little bit ago. Why is everybody in the back? That's great. Bob. So, i got to ask you a, a theological question. Where do you sit on, the, um, on the, you know, the theological stance of predestination versus free will? Are you a Calvinist or are you Arminian? Okay, you're sure about that. <laughs> there you go. That's wonderful. Nice. All right. And then, and then, Kevin, why are you guys standing next to each other? What is going on? I love that you're friends. This is great. Kevin, where do you sit on this side of the equation? That's right. Amen to that. Sorry, Bob. So, 
Yes. So are we going to be a church of Calvinists or Arminians, predestination or free will? The answer is Yes, absolutely. Dave Kelly, or not, actually not Dave Kelly, where's, um, where's Lauren? Lauren, where are you? Is everybody, Lauren, everybody's in the back. I, you know what, I, re- I realize why you're in the back. I asked you to get up out of your chairs, our leadership, if they were going to. So I'm going to come back to you. Lauren, I just, you need to notice this. Lauren might be, and I, I, I am married, and I'm very secure in my manhood. Lauren might be the most attractive man that I have ever met <laughs> in my lifetime. No, I, there are people clapping right now. There are people clapping in this moment. Yeah, turn the lights up. You want them full to take in the glory of that man right there. I'd ask him to take off his shirt, but I'm not going to. Lauren is one of the coolest, most attractive men that I have ever met in my lifetime. Seriously. Now, Dave Kelly, will you stand up? Now. <laughs> Dave Kelly is a little less attractive (laughs) and a little less cool, but I've known you for many years, have I not? Yes. Would you agree with that statement? That I've known you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Dave? Oh, yes. His wife just said he's very handsome. Yes, I agree. I agree with that. We all agree with that, don't we? Yes. No. So are we going to be a church for the attractive, cool or the Dave Kellys of the world? And the answer is yes, we are. Are we going to be a church for men or for women? Yes. Are we going to be a church for Republicans or Democrats? Yes. Are we going to be a church for the healthy or the hurting? Yes. Are we going to be a church for Seahawks fans or all other NFL teams? No. No. No, 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 no. We draw the line right there. No Patriots fans, if you are, get up and give someone else your seat right now. Okay? There you are. So what church are we going to be? What are we going to be? And here's where we got to start, you guys. We got to start right here. We have to start with God's word. Think about this. If you were to try to describe the church and you could only use the Bible, what would that church look like? Now, I'm talking get rid of all the past experiences, all the times that you've worked in churches or you've been to churches. Throw that out the window. What would church look like if it was just the church from the Bible? I think it would look a whole lot different than the churches that we see here and today. I truly think it would. Because when we put a church together that when we put it together, we put it together what we like. I want a piece of this because I like that. Or I want a piece of that because I like that. And we could get really good at building churches and putting churches together that we like. And we're like, just like you could get good at making pasta or making spaghetti. And just say you come to the end of your life and you die and you're before God and you present to him, here is my bowl of spaghetti. And he's like, I ordered steak, you know. I ordered steak. And so we've got to look first at what the church looked like in the very beginning when God first set the church in motion. And so when you do that, when you dig through these pages, especially in the, in the book of Acts, two things stand out. Two things surface. And here's they are. The first one is this. is the people in the New Testament, the people of the early church, had an urgency to share. What did they share? They shared the gospel. They shared the good news. Look at this. Andrew, he's a disciple in the Bible, and John 1 says this. The first thing that Andrew did, and this is right after he met Jesus, was to find his brother. Who is his brother? Simon Peter. And he told him 
that he would, uh, he told him that we found the Messiah, that is the Christ. He had an urgency. First thing he did was go and tell his brother about Jesus. Think about the woman at the well. She went and told her whole town in John 4, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Look at Philip. He's another disciple in Acts chapter 8. He said those, and he's talking about the first Christians who had, been, who had been scattered. Now, the reason they were scattered is because Paul was persecuting them at this time. He says those who were, who were scattered preached the word, which is the gospel, wherever they went. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, which is enemy territory, and proclaimed the Messiah is there. It's crazy. The disciples in Acts chapter 5 said day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news. What is the good news? That Jesus is the Messiah. They had an urgency to share. When I was in elementary school, I grew up on a farm in Eatonville or kind of in the country in Eatonville. And, uh, and one of the things my dad loved to do on the weekends was fall trees. And we would cut, yeah, and that's hilarious. My sister just shook her head of all the weekends that we had falling trees and cutting firewood. And it was, it was a lot of weekends. But what happened, I remember one time, is that my dad fell a tree. And if you've ever fallen a tree, it's a, just a magnificent experience because it's silent as it goes down. And then when it hits, it just just hits with this loud thud, and then the ground shakes, and it's just amazing. But one time, when we were falling a tree, and we did this many times, he fell a tree, and there was something out of that tree. As the tree went down, shot like this, defying gravity, and then hit another tree. And my dad and I, I, we didn't actually say anything. He shut off the chainsaw. We looked at each other, and we walked over to that other tree. And we're like, what in the heck was that? Because normally if branches fly off, they fall down. This went sideways. And we went to that other tree, and we looked at it, and then we shook the tree. My dad shook the tree. And the object, again, shot back the other direction at a horizontal angle. And we're like, what in the world is that? And so we went close to that tree, and we looked up, and we realized that this little squirrel went up. And it, we looked at the squirrel carefully, and it had this line right down here. And we're like, that cannot be. So we shook the tree again, and it was a flying squirrel that was in our backyard. Like, it just was right. And we shook it again, and we went from tree to tree, and we're like, ha, 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 you know, because we were so un- unbelievably amazed there was a flying squirrel in my backyard and I'm in elementary school this is big news <laughs> big news so this was before the internet this is before cell phones so when I could not wait to get to school I went to school and I had an urgency to share I told everyone about the flying squirrel that my dad and I had seen he flew from tree to tree to tree and they all were like yeah I'm sure Jake yeah did he have a cape you know like um, like they started calling me squirrel boy nobody believed me nobody believed me that there was a flying squirrel cuz they're in Asia they're supposed to be in Asia not here But there actually is a very rare breed of flying squirrels that exist in the Northwest. I had no idea. But truly, it was crazy. And I had an urgency to share, just like the early church. They had an urgency to share, and nobody really believed them. Nobody believed them until lives started changing. And that's exactly what we want to do. We want to have an urgency to share. Katie, where are you at? I'm going to have Katie stand up. I want her to read the Great Commission. Would you do that? Matthew chapter 28, verses uh, 16 through 20. Go ahead and read it aloud for all of us, if you will. 
That's amazing. Thank you, Katie, so much. Let me walk back through that here. Here's what it says. And then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Why were there 11? Because unfortunately Judas had hung himself prior to that part, and he is gone and out of the equation. And then they went to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. And I've always wondered what that looks like. You ever think about that? When we think of worship, we think about singing. And I don't imagine that they broke out into song singing to Jesus when he's standing right there. But how, what did that look like where they worshipped him in that moment when he's right there? And then here's what's even crazier. Some doubted. Can you imagine that? These are the disciples. These are who walked through his death and resurrection, yet some doubted. And then Jesus came to them, because he obviously was from some amount of a distance, and they said, all authority in heaven and earth was, um, on earth has been given to me. So what would Jesus do with all authority in heaven and earth? What does he do? He does this. He commissions us. He says, therefore, go. And that means, actually means as you are going. So as you go through life, here's the big part. Make disciples. It's right there. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything. And there's quite a difference between teaching somebody about something and then teaching somebody to obey something. If you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so he says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And here's my favorite part. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, and for which I am thankful. I did not have an urgency, even as a pastor, to share the gospel like I do today. Until Maggie left and heaven became more than an afterthought. And it is so real to me right now. I am so thankful that I am a nobody who has the opportunity to share with everybody about the somebody who has made a huge, huge, huge difference in my life. So what did the early church look like? Number one, they had an urgency to share. Number two, they look like this, is that they loved one another. They loved one another. It's all throughout the New Testament. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, and what specifically is he talking about? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. And here it is. If you love, and most people stop right there. Most churches stop right there. It's not just how we love but the specifically, he says, we, they will know you are my disciples by how we love who? One another. How we love one another as a church. They will look at the love that we have. For, have you ever think of like a couple when you meet a couple? And, man, they love each other. Look how they serve each other. Look how they care for each other. Look how they talk to one another. It's the same thing. They will know that we are his disciples by how we love one another. When you walked in. We worked hard to make this place look the way that it did. But if you notice the big words on the side, that is our purpose. Our purpose is making disciples. What is making disciples? It is an urgency to share. That is our purpose. Now, our preference is that we would do it together. That is our preference. Our purpose is making disciples. Our preference is that we would do it together. Because life is lived better together. Check out this African proverb. It says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mother Teresa says, I can do things you cannot. You can do things I cannot. Together, we can do great things. Babe Ruth, the great baseball player, said, you, must, you may have the greatest bunch of individual stars in the world, but if you don't play together, the club is not worth a dime. Henry Ford 
not Harrison Ford, Henry Ford from the assembly line said, if everyone is moving forward together, then success will take care of itself. Here's my favorite one. Rocky Balboa from Rocky One said, Adrian's got gaps, I got gaps, together we ain't got no gaps. I love that. Teddy Kennedy said, what divides us pales in comparison to what unites us. So friends, what unites us? Why are we here? It is Jesus. And Jesus did life together too. Check this out. Jesus, the only one throughout human history who had a choice to choose his family. You ever think about that? None of us have had a choice to choose our family. We all wish we could choose our family. Sorry, family. But we all wish that we could choose our family, but Jesus actually did. And yet, the idea that he even chose to be in a family is amazing. He wanted to do it together. And so here's the the God of the universe who can do anything, and who did he choose to do it with? Disciples, a ragtag group of individuals to share his message. He didn't have to do that, but he chose to do life together. In the New Testament, there are 59 statements of one another's, and Jesus taught the majority of those. He sent the disciples out to share his word in twos, together. He gave us the great commission. When he could have just showed up and showed everyone who he was, he said, I want you to be a part of it. The great commission, we got a chance to be in that. The Holy Trinity, think about this. In its very nature, three persons in one, is life together. Life is lived better together. Look at Acts 2, even in the New Testament, right back to here, New Testament church. Here's what it says. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. There's the word again, together. They broke bread in their homes and ate, oh, together. With glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Friends, could you imagine if that happened here, in this place, in this town, in this city? If that could happen here, if we could truly make disciples and do it together, that would be an amazing, an amazing thing. And so what we're going to do starting next week is we're going to specifically go after the first eight chapters of the book of Acts. Why the first eight chapters? Is because the first eight chapters for the next six weeks are focused on how the church was birthed into existence. And we want to be that church. If there's ever a time to study what happened with the church, this is it. And so that's what we're going to do starting next week. We're going to Acts, the birth of a church. What does that look like? But in the meantime, I pray that we could have an impact like the early church. I want to show you a little thing, a little illustration here. Look at this. On these screens, this is what the church looked like when we walked in. And by the way, there's a handful of us that have jumped into this. And what we have done is through brick and mortar, through sweat and some tears, there were a few that cried, (laughs) we took this place that looked like this and we turned it into something more beautiful, more inviting. That's what we were shooting to do, is to create something where people would feel comfortable. There's, there it is, making disciples together. And this, my friends, is brick and mortar. 
brick and mortar. And yes, it, by the way, just so you know, it only took two and a half weeks to actually do the majority of the work that we did inside of here to do all of this because we did it with a bunch of people together. And this is a small sampling of a beauty that we can make out of something that was a little bit, I don't, I, I don't want to say oppressing, but it was really dark in here. But we wanted to make it someplace where it was, felt like home, where people could come in and connect with Jesus. And this is an inkling of what we could possibly do when we actually go out and we move from brick and mortar and we work in lives and impact people for eternity. That's what we're in. That is the, that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to create and to build a community of people who love Jesus who are making disciples, and that we are doing it together. That's the whole point. What is this church going to be like? Well, we're going to have a mission. We're going to go after Jesus. And two, we want to do it together. That's the whole entire point. That's what we're shooting for. Now, here's the big question. Can we do it? <laughs> I don't know, actually. I'm glad you're confident. That's great. Here's the deal. I, am a, I, didn't, I never wanted to be a senior pastor. I never wanted to do what I'm doing right now. This was not in the cards. I have a business degree, peoples, all right? I just got ordained like last week. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> so, and now you guys are like, oh, crap, I'm out of here. I'm not. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to work. But you know what? I don't think any of the disciples had a degree either. You know what I mean? They just experienced Jesus in a powerful way. And they were compelled to go out and to share. And I feel the same way. I've had an experience walking to the doorstep of heaven, and I am compelled to go out and tell people about Jesus. I want to do it together. It's going to be so lonely if it's just me and my wife, all right? We'll even take our kids, but we'd like you to come with us too. That's the whole deal. We want to do this together. And so you, this is the first step. This is day one. We're going to start this thing. And I don't think that anything can stop it when Jesus is in the equation. And so I say let's do this. And if you want to join us, today is day one. It is a great day to start. All right, I'm going to pray, and then, uh, and then, and then we'll, uh, let's just bow our heads. I'll pray, and then we'll move on to the next thing. Jesus. Oh, man, Jesus, thank you so much. This is so crazy to see how you guide us from one step to another step, and as we turn corners and as we move different places to see the impact that you have. We want to see a huge impact, an amazing impact on this community, not just turning a building to make it pretty. Even though that was a lot of work by a lot of people, that's not the goal. The goal is changed lives. You've changed my life. You've changed so many lives in here. I pray that you would give us Holy Spirit anointing to go out and to do your work and to make disciples. And God, I pray that we could do that together. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross that makes it possible that we could spend eternity with you and with each other. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're going to do, as all church does, offering. I'm going to jump into that. So the ushers, you can go ahead and come forward. And, and typically, if you go to a church, just so you know, this is the spiel that you're going to hear every time, is that don't feel compelled to give as if this is your first time. I'm not going to say that today. Um, <laughs> because as a church, um, we're just starting this thing out. But um, again, uh, we want you, this is an, an extension or an extension of worship in our world. But here's one thing I do want to share with you. If, if you are coming and you are in need and the offering bucks go past you, you, you know, this is your chance to put money in there. But you're in need, 
I want you to feel the freedom, and this is key word here, need, to take out of the offering at this point in time. You can go ahead. If you can't put food on the table for your kids or something's going on where you cannot make ends meet, we are taking this offering to bless our city and bless our community. And so if you feel like that's you, and again, key word here, don't take checks. That's a little weird. You know what I mean? <laughs> but if there is cash and you need cash at this time, go ahead and feel free to take that because we are trying to meet the needs of our people and our community, and it starts right here. Okay? So let's do that. Let's begin now. <laughs> 